Hello and welcome to Cornerstone Online. This is our weekly experience where we inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, knowing that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. We are just at the beginning of a new series on the book of 1 Peter called Outsider Insider. And if you are new here, then we're especially glad to welcome you and would love to welcome you personally and keep in touch with you to let you know what's going on with Cornerstone to equip you and encourage you as you pursue your spiritual journey. So if you're new here, start here at our website, cornerstonenh.org. You'll find a new here link. If you click on it, you can click on that. And wherever you're listening or watching, you can text the word new to our church number, 603-225-2550, and we'll be able to follow up with you then, and you'll be in the know and know what's going on at Cornerstone. So as I said, we are continuing our brand new series on the book of First Peter. And in this book, we realize that he is writing, the Apostle Peter is writing to people who are experiencing opposition, persecution, and going through trials. When I was reading through and thinking about today's message, I was reminded of a card in a game that my kids introduced me to. It's called Exploding Kittens. And in this card game, my favorite card is the nope card. N-O-P-E. Nope card. Here I have some examples. This is my favorite. Uh, it says the, the, the purpose of the nope card is to stop the action of another player. But I love the descriptions. This one says, feed your opponent a nope sandwich with extra nope sauce. So I love playing the nope card because whatever somebody is trying to do to you, whatever opposition you're encountering, whatever card is played against you, you just pull out that nope card and you play it and you're all set. So wouldn't it be nice if we had a nope card for life, a nope card for life, so that when we encounter various trials, difficulties, struggles, that we could just pull out a nope card and say, nope, that's not happening. In the book of First Peter, Peter is addressing people who really wish that they had a nope card. They are facing opposition. They are people who are not in power, not in authority, not the A-list. And as a result, they are experiencing these trials and persecution and opposition and are finding that it's a very frustrating and difficult circumstance. And it's not something that's unique to the people who Peter was writing to 2,000 years ago. We experience that as well, right? When we encounter people who are in authority, who are in opposition to us, when it feels like all of the power structures, all of the places that we need help from are arrayed against us, maybe for you, it's uh, a school situation. You're sending your kids into school 
and something is not going right there and you're having a hard time getting the people in charge to listen to you. Maybe you're experiencing something like this at work. You are trying to do the right thing. You're trying to live out your faith. You're trying to be a good worker. But the people in charge are either incompetent or evil uh, do not believe the same way that you do, do not value the same things that you do, and you find yourself in opposition there. We've seen a lot of anger directed towards people in government, politicians, people in various degrees of authority in our government as well. And people feel like they're not being heard. They're not, they don't have a way to get things done and to be treated fairly and rightly. And that has led to anger and frustration and acting out based on that anger. Wherever we are in life, it's probable and possible that we are going to face opposition. And there just isn't necessarily a nope card for life, that we can just play that and then everything will turn around. But thankfully, like I said, this isn't something that is new to us. This is something that people have dealt with throughout history. And the Apostle Peter is, de is delivering this message, sending a letter to people who feel like they are on the outs and showing them how to deal with that from the perspective of someone who is on the inside of God's family. Last week, as we were introducing this letter that the Apostle Peter wrote, we said that the, the part of the theme is that we, as believers, are outsider insiders. We are outsiders in some respects when it comes to the world. We might not be in positions of power and authority and leverage, but we are on the inside of God's family. And we looked at this key verse from 1 Peter 1.1. Peter says, I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. And then he lists all the different places that this letter is going to. And we picked up on those three key words, chosen, living, and and foreigners. And from that, we got that the outsider-insider idea is this. this. That verse is actually just three different words, three words in the Greek text. It's the elect sojourners scattered. He's writing to people who, have, who are the elect. And when you see that, Think of selected for service. That's what we talked about, selected for service. It's like when you were in elementary school and you were choosing teams for kickball, you're selected for the team for the role that you will play so that you can play on the team. And in the same similar way, we are selected for service, but we're also sojourners. That's kind of an old-fashioned word, but it means somebody who is just passing through. It highlights the idea that this world is not our home. And then the word that the Apostle Peter used is for scattered is diaspora, that uh, just like his people after their capital Jerusalem was conquered hundreds of years ago and the people were carted off in exile and scattered throughout the known world of their day, he says that these believers are 
insiders. They're part of God's family, but they, they are elect. They've been scattered, however, throughout the world, but they're scattered on purpose. There's a reason that they're where they are. And then this whole theme is picked up again in the very next verse because they are known by God. They're set apart for service by the Holy Spirit and set on the path of forgiveness for the past and obedience in the future by Jesus. Now, the reason that I wanted to revisit that is that, as we talked about last week, this theme gets picked up over and over again throughout the book because these are the ideas that are in Peter's mind addressing the situation that these believers find themselves. They're the chosen, they're the elect, but they're also sojourners scattered throughout the world. And in the midst of the opposition and difficulty and trials that they are facing, the Apostle Peter is writing to give his brothers and sisters hope. And hope is what we're talking about today because some of the forces are arrayed against them, because they're on the outside when it comes to the power structures of the world when it, because they're facing opposition and persecution sometimes it's hard in the midst of those situations to have hope but what he wants to show them is that they are actually on the inside of God's family inside of God's kingdom and that is going to bear fruit over the long time long haul. He wants them to have hope. And so our bottom line for today is that hope says nope to despair. Hope says nope to despair. And every week I'm going to give you some practical steps, some challenge, some way that you can apply what you've heard today. And for today, we'll come back around to this at the end. It's to see how it works out to view your trials as a workout. See how it works out to view your trials as a workout. And again, we'll come back to that and explain it a little bit more towards the end. So let's look at this passage. Again, this is 1 Peter. We're still in the very first chapter and beginning at verse 3. I'm going to read in the New Living Translation. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 12. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, Through your faith, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, 
you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for, the, for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something that even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about, and when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look at your word today, that you would speak to us, that you would take your word and the truths included and apply them directly to the hearts and minds of everyone who is listening. Only you know their hearts and minds. Only you know the circumstances they're facing. Only you know the things that are causing despair or hope in their lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would show them through your word that hope is available, that hope makes sense, that you have prepared a future for them that they can look forward to and that they can rejoice in. I pray that you would speak, that you would show each of us exactly what to do with what we hear today, and that you would give us the insight that we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so again, bottom line for today, hope says nope to despair. And in this first part of this passage, what we see, what gives us hope is to celebrate what is ours to come. Remember that the Apostle Peter is writing to believers. These are people who have already committed their lives to Christ, declared their allegiance to Jesus, who are his followers. And so as a result of being adopted into God's family, being citizens in God's kingdom, there are certain things that are theirs by birthright now, birth into this new life. And so that's what he is pointing them towards, to celebrate the things that are to come. It starts out like this, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the idea of praise is that they are celebrating God's goodness. Very often we talk, uh, we used to talk about it more, but we used to talk about our services as worship celebration services. When we get together, we sing songs that remind us of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and what they have done for us. Communion is a celebration of what Jesus has done for us. And I remember in the tradition that I grew up in, communion was celebrated very somberly. In fact, celebration is probably not the right word for it. It was all about looking at your sins and confessing your sins. And there, that was good. There's certainly a place for that. And then I remember I went to a different church as a young adult and the communion celebration, the communion observance had a totally different feel to it. It was celebratory. It was positive. It was hopeful, reminding us that what Christ did on the cross, shedding his blood and offering his broken body for us 
is what purchased our salvation and forgiveness. We celebrated it. And so what the Apostle Peter is doing is reminding them of the things that they should be celebrating. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, and here I've shifted to the New American Standard because I think it makes it more clear, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he's saying, okay, this is what happened. God, motivated by, according to his great mercy, has done something. Mercy is favor or good things given to us that we do not deserve. So that's the cause of this. It's God's great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. According to the scriptures, we are all in our natural state, spiritually dead. And in order for us to participate in the life that God has for us and to experience eternal life that is not just what happens after you die, but begins from the moment that you begin to follow Jesus, you are born again, spiritually reborn to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So God, in his mercy, sent Jesus. Jesus died for our sins, was raised and given new life. As a result, that new life is given to us. And therefore, we have a living hope. I'll pick up the New Living Translation again, and it translates living hope with this. Now we live with great expectation. In other words, we have hope for the future because of what Christ has done for us in the past. And what do we look forward to? We have a priceless inheritance. Now, in order to understand that, and this is going to be a common theme throughout the book of First Peter, because Peter grew up in the Jewish faith and was very familiar with the Jewish scriptures, we're going to see allusions to ideas and passages in the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament, throughout this book. And he picks up on the idea of the inheritance. Now, an inheritance, I like to sometimes usually translate that as possession, because we usually think of an inheritance as something we get or pass on after someone has died. Whereas uh, this is talking about something that comes into our possession. And sometimes that can happen with the passing of someone else, but it's more about uh, something that is given a gift and a possession that comes to us. And he's saying here, just like, and we talked about Abraham last week, just like Abraham was promised the land that he would live in. And he went around as a sojourner, as a foreigner, as an alien in land that was promised to him. So also we have a promise to look forward to as well. But our inheritance, the possession that we've been promised <clears throat> is not land on earth somewhere. It's something far greater than that. And he goes on to explain that in the next verse. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. This is not an earthly inheritance. It's a heavenly inheritance. And what is he talking about? He's talking about, there's, we get started on this journey 
God gives us forgiveness, adopts us into his family, makes us citizens in his kingdom, and we get the blessings of that, but they are not fully experienced until the kingdom comes in all of its fullness. There's going to be a day when Jesus returns or when we die and spiritually are present with the Lord. At that time, at the end of time, that's when the kingdom comes in its fullness and we receive all of our inheritance, all the things that God has promised. And so he's saying that all the promises of God are being kept for you. They're being preserved for you. They're being reserved for you in heaven. They are outside of the realm where they can be touched, pure and undefiled the promised land of the Old Testament was earthly. The promised land of the Old Testament could be defiled. And in fact, God would talk about how when people would sin against one another, when murder would happen, that the blood that was spilled would defile the land. And here he's saying, nope, that's not the way it works here. There's nothing that can touch it. It is pure and undefiled. It's beyond the reach of change and decay. Jesus taught that we should lay up our treasures in heaven where rust does not destroy and the moth does not eat up and there's not change, there's not decay. It's outside of the realm of those things. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. So he's saying, we rejoice because of the promises that we've got. We rejoice because what is ours in the future. And because it's in the heavenly realm, God is protecting it. And in the meantime, God is protecting you as well. He is making sure that you are preserved and protected so that you can receive those promises. And when is this going to happen? It's going to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Remember, we've talked about this before, that the last days are the period between Jesus returning to heaven and Jesus returning to earth and establishing his kingdom in his fullness, in its fullness. Now, the last days have lasted so far 2,000 years. There will be, however, a last day. That's the end of the last days. That's when Jesus returns. That's when Jesus sets up his kingdom in all its fullness. That's when all of the promises are received and everything as it truly is will be revealed on that last day. Revealed on that last day. So hope says nope to despair. And in the first part, we see how he tells us to celebrate those things that are coming, those things that are keep our mind set on those things in the future. But in the meantime, we are going to experience trials and difficulties. So he goes on to show us how we're supposed to view those. And he says to see trials as a proving ground for your faith, to see our trials as a proving ground for your faith. This is the verse that prompted my thoughts uh, that, uh, about those box, cardboard boxes that have the little seal on the bottom that say tested to, and then it shows the burst pounds per square inch. What's that saying? It's saying that this box can hold it. 
This box is strong enough to withstand the pressure and weight that is put into it. It's been tested and proved that it's strong enough. And in the same way, our faith can work. He says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. See how he's focusing, saying, don't focus on on the way things are now. Focus on the joy that is ahead. Don't focus on the things that are seen now. Focus on the things that are going to be revealed in the future. So be truly glad there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. He's very realistic, saying, I know that you're going through difficulty. I know that you're facing opposition. I know all of these things. You can still rejoice because your eyes are on what will be revealed. Your eyes are on the future. Your eyes are on things as they are. That's permanent. The trials that we are facing are happening now, but just for a little while. And then he goes on to show the purpose, the benefit of these trials. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's going to prove the worth and value and strength of your faith. It, your faith, is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Here he is showing how he's thinking, okay, your trials, your faith is, is like gold. And in order for gold to be purified, the fire has to be applied. And that causes all the impurities to clear out. And he says, in the same way, your trials are testing, purifying your faith, which is more precious than even gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to face trials. Your faith is going to be tested in the midst of those trials. But when you come out the other side and your faith is still strong, it's still standing, that's going to show the value and worth of your faith. And it will result in praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Notice again, what he's doing is he's shifting their focus from the here and now. In the here and now, things are not going well. In the here and now, people in power are exercising that power in opposition to you. But there's going to be a day when the real power is revealed and when your faith lasts and perseveres and is shown to have lasted and persevered, then you're going to see honor and glory and praise as a result of that. And that's going to happen on the day when Jesus is revealed to the whole world. And then what he does is he gives some example. And he basically says, look, here, I want you to focus on the good things to come. I want you to see that uh, your tests and trials are just temporary and you're going to get through them and you're going to come out the other end. And we, are, we want you to see, I want you to see 
the things that are unseen. I want you to focus on those, the things that are coming, the things that are not yet revealed. And then he says, but listen, this is what you are actually already doing. This is, this is already the way that you're living. And he gives the example of their faith. He says, you love him, talking about Christ, even though you have never seen him. You don't see the world as it's going to be. You don't see the power structures as they truly are. But this isn't anything new. You have followed, you have committed your life to Christ, whom you have never met and never seen. This is something that you've already done. You, though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. So he says the whole thing of looking to the future, looking to putting your faith in the unseen, the things that are not yet revealed, the things that are hidden, this is something that you're doing already. That's how you came to faith in Christ. You heard the message from people like the apostles and you believed but you didn't see, it wasn't until you believed that you experienced that benefit. So he's saying, this, I'm just asking you to do the same thing right now. You don't see things as they should be or as they truly are, but have faith and let that faith carry you through. And then he says, the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Now, when a person says yes to Jesus, they are saved. Their past is forgiven, their future is secured. But there's a sense in which the salvation, our full salvation, does not come until later. Our future is secured, and that future is complete eradication of sin from the very presence of sin, complete and full fellowship with Jesus in his kingdom forever. There's a part, a sense, in which that's our salvation is not going to com be complete until that time. And that's what he's saying. Because you've trusted him, you are going to experience the full benefit of your salvation. And then he gives the example of the prophets. He first off says, focus on the unseen, focus on the good that is to come. This is something that you're used to doing. That's how you came to faith in Christ. And then he gives the example of the prophets who wrote the scriptures and told, foretold, the coming of the Christ. He says, this is exactly what has happened with them. They told about things that they were not seeing yet, but now it's come true. You've experienced the benefit, the things that they were just hoping and longing for and were unclear to them have now been made clear to you and you're experiencing the benefit. The subtext there is that just like it happened for them, they were living in faith. They did not see the full benefit. They just got hints of it. But now the message has come to you and you've seen how it's played out in the life of Jesus. In a similar way, you can expect God to fulfill his promises to you as well. So in talking about what the prophets had done, he says in 1 Peter 12, second half of the verse, and now this good news has been announced to you. In other words, the things that they were just hoping for and praying for and little pieces of it were revealed to them, now you get to see the whole story. The good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So, hope says nope to despair. 
They had reasons because of the trials that they were going through to be despairing. But he points their direction, their their thoughts, their attention in the direction of the future and what God is going to do for them. And so this is the transition point. He says, so put on your game face. Put on your game face. Last night, I was watching with my daughter one of the preseason football games, and they were telling before the game started about the people who were dressed for the game and people who didn't bother to dress. Now, what does that mean? They're, they're on the team, but they didn't dress. That means they're not going to be playing that night. They're not going to be in the game. When the people put on the pads, put on their jerseys, grab their helmet, they are ready and prepared for the game. It means they're going to play. And on Sundays, usually for the NFL, for Sundays for me as a pastor, what am I, what am I, what are we doing? We are putting on our game face. We are going into the arena. We are a con- we are going to work our job. And so he says, in light of the fact that although you don't see it now, you have this tremendous inheritance, this hope, this possession. You're going to receive all of the promises that God has made to you. Now, right now, you're experiencing trials, but you got a hope for the future. You're already used to doing that. That's what you did when you accepted Christ. You've seen how God has been faithful in the past through promising the message of the gospel and what Jesus would do through those Old Testament prophets. And now you're experiencing the fullness of it. So I want you to live prepared, ready to go, put on your game face. Here's the next verse that we'll pick up next week from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 in the message translation. So roll up your sleeves. Get your head in the game. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Because God has made these promises, because he's faithful, because the trials are only there to prove your faith, then I want you to go forward with confidence into the game. Don't let despair creep in. Play that nope card. Say, I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to be despairing. I'm not going to let my faith fail. And in order to get in the game, in order to put on your game face, in order to have the jersey to put on, you got to be a part of the team. And so he says, put your head in the game. Be totally ready. And here's my encouragement. If you may need to get ready, Make sure that you are totally ready. What that means is not go to church. What that means is not sign, on a, uh, sign up in a membership class. What that means is make sure that you are on the team. Make sure that you are following Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. Commit your life to him. And again, what that means is you're saying yes to his forgiveness. You want what Jesus did on the cross to count for you. Yes, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, but being a child of God is not automatic. To those who received him, 
to those who believed, put their trust in his name, the scriptures say, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. So has there ever been a time where you have said yes to Jesus, turned your life over to him, ask for what he did on the cross to count for you, and then to follow him wholeheartedly, to acknowledge him as the Lord. That means he's the boss. He's the one that gets to call the shots. And when you'd say yes to Jesus, to him as Savior and Lord, then you are totally ready. You've committed your life to Jesus. You've said yes to him. He has reserved an inheritance for you in heaven. He has prepared the way. He has given you the gift of faith. He has put his Holy Spirit inside of you. And all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. So let us know if you're doing this for the first time. One of the ways you can do that is by texting the word yes to our church number. We'll be able to celebrate because this is the best decision you will ever make. And we want to resource you so that you can take good, strong first steps in your walk with Christ. The Apostle Peter wants us to put our hope, to focus our hope on the future, on the unseen, on the things that are to come. And when we do that, we will be able to say no, nope to despair. Play that note card anytime that you feel like you are powerless, that you can't make it, that all the forces of the world are arrayed against you, when you don't think you can put one foot in front of the other, you focus on what God has done for you and what God has promised to you. And practically speaking, here's the challenge I have for you to see how it works out because some of you are already following Jesus. You've already said yes to Jesus. That's good. Some of you need to say yes to Jesus. You need to make sure that you're on the team. You need to do that. But for those who are uh, following, you need a next step as well. And here's the very practical way that you can apply what you've seen here. And even if you're not ready to make the commitment to Jesus, this is still something that you can apply. It will, it, it's not dependent. Uh, this is just a, a thing that works. It's when you see, when you look, change your perspective in this way, it's going to benefit you the greatest benefit for those who follow Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. See how it works out to view your trials as a workout, to see the tests that you're going through as a test that is supposed to prove your faith, build your faith muscle, not destroy it. God's intent is not to remove any sense of hope but to give you hope in the midst of your trials. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify some struggle, some trial, some difficulty, some opposition that you are facing. And then I want you to look at it not as a difficulty to be avoided, although you can avoid it if you can. Most We're talking about stuff that you can't avoid right now. Look at it and say, okay, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to build my faith, to strengthen my faith. Nobody really, you know, starts out like looking forward to going to the gym. We go through the exercises, we go through 
the, the, the workout for the benefit that we get on the other side. So apply the right response to your trial. Say, okay, I'm going to, rather than looking at it as something that's going to hurt me, I'm going to look at it as something that's going to benefit me. When I encounter someone who is difficult and I remember that I'm supposed to treat even my enemies with love, to love our enemies, to pray for those who spitefully use you, then you apply that and then see how that strengthens your faith. You're going to see your faith grow. So see how it works out to view your trials as a workout. The apostle Paul picks up the similar theme in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, and I'd like to read that to you as we close. Here's what he says. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see now will last forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to every heart. Show us exactly, give us wisdom and insight so we know exactly how to apply what we've heard today. And then give us the courage and faith and determination to follow through, to do the right thing in the midst of opposition and difficulty, to not give in to despair, anger, frustration, but instead to lean on you, the one who makes all things right in his own timing. I thank you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.